Welcome back to another episode of the Two Hats Podcast. This is episode three. I'm your host, Chris. And it's Brittany, your favorite PO. All right, we have a good episode to you for you today. Uh, we're going to be covering the topic of field work, also known as home contacts. And also, we a little bit later in the episode, we have an interview with Aaron, who's a probation officer in Ohio. So definitely stay tuned. So field work is different based on the agency you work on, work with, um, and the area that you work in. So as a juvenile, when I worked as a juvenile officer, we were uh, required to do home contacts um, with our juveniles and their families to get a sense of what the house looks like, um, to kind of see the family dynamics. And um, especially when we had to to do curfew checks on all our juveniles. Uh, So we'd have have to pop up with them um, to check, make sure they're home during their curfew hours. Um, How are are home contacts done in Texas? So as far as in my department, which is not to say that it's the same thing across the state because different agencies across Texas do things a little bit differently. But as far as home visits for low risk offenders or low level offenders, we didn't go inside their homes. We would just go to the door. We would see them once a month or once every three months or on an as needed basis. So it wasn't like a consistent thing. So I didn't have to go in the field, you know, quite as often as maybe you did. Which that kind of thing, I actually like that part of the job going into the field, but we didn't have to go that often. See, the big thing is that um, with home contacts and uh, field work, that's when the most danger is um, with the job because uh, you're in the offender's environment. Um, you don't know what they have in their home. You don't know what kind of firearms, weapons they have, um, whether you know your appointments are scheduled or you do pop-ups, which I do mo- all of my visits are pop-ups. Um, there's a lot of danger involved because you don't know what you're going to walk into when you get to their home. Uh, you don't know what's going on. Um, there have been situations where I've walked in on uh, almost leading up to domestic violence situations, um, you know, where they have, they're having parties, where there's drugs and alcohol involved. So you never know. So it's a very dangerous part of probation, but it's also a very important part. Why do you think home, home contacts are so important, Brittany? To me, I feel as though, I hate to say this, but a lot of times people, from my experience, a lot of times people would either lie about where they're actually living or yes. they will be in an environment that's unsuitable to their success. It's, it's, it's going to hinder their success on probation. So if we, we step into you know their territory, so to speak, it kind of helps us get an idea of the area that we can help them with. And that's what probation is all about at the end of the day, to help the offender get, you know, readjusted to being free if they were incarcerated in prison or jail or whatever. And to make sure that they're going to be productive citizens and not go back into the prison system or back into the county jail. Exactly. Because, I mean, I've been in situations where I've gone to a house and um, they have no running water. They have no electricity. The gas is cut off. Um and these are all factors that can lead to them, uh, you know, recidivism because they're going to go out there and, you know, commit a crime or do what they have to do to try to get their lights on. Um, especially if they have family, if they have kids and they're trying to, you know, feed them, you know, put food on the table. That's where we come in. We say, OK, well, here, let's let me get you in contact with this agency that can help you pay your light bill. Let me get you in contact with um, the uh, food stamp department here in the county so you can try to get some food on the table. Here, let me get you in contact with. Um, different, uh, you know, food banks 
and things like that, community resources that we know because these are people that we work with every day. So that's why it's very important that we do home contacts, um, but we can never take it for granted. You have to be careful. You have to be safe. Um, you have to, it's ideally that you go with someone else and if another officer, if you can't do that, then it's very important that you just, you know, kind of keep your head on a swivel, um, you know, you know, make sure you're very aware of what's going on because at the end of the day, you want to make sure that you go home safe. So we, like I said, we have a, we have an interview today. We have our guest, Aaron, and we're going to bring Aaron in and for the interview. Welcome everyone to the interview, uh, interview portion of the Two Hats podcast. Today we have our first guest. Um, Aaron. Aaron's a probation officer in Ohio, right, Aaron? Right, right. Erie County. All right, man. Erie County. Okay. Um, welcome to the podcast, and we really appreciate you coming on to share your experiences with the uh, Two Hats family. Um, hopefully, we're, we're hoping to get into talking about your experiences, your history, you know, how you like the job, um, so that those that are in the field can see how things are differently, how probation is done differently across the country. And for those that are interested in getting into the family, um, the probation family, the community supervision family, so they can get some more background and uh, kind of see what the job is really like. Because I'll be honest with you, when I, you know, when I was in college, I already didn't know what probation was, but you know, eight years in, look at me now. So right. uh, I believe Brittany has the first question. Hey Aaron, what made you decide to get into this uh, line of work? Okay, well, this line of work came from a buddy of mine that was already a director of pretrial services. Me and him were both going through the police academy together, and he said he had an open position. I said, sure, I'll take the position, and basically it fell in my lap, and now I'm sticking with it. I, I really feel that I do a lot better in this half of the enforcement than the other half. I see more of the people that I wanted to get in law enforcement in the first place for was to help. So I see more people now on the, on the back end of it that I can actually see what my help's doing, you know? Well, to kind of go along those lines, our second question for you is this. On a scale of one to 10, with one being a social worker and 10 being a law enforcement officer, where does your agency fall along that two-hat spectrum? Uh, my agency itself kind of falls almost smack in the middle. Our uh, our chief probation officer is a law enforcement officer himself. So he was on that side, and now he's on this side as well. Uh, we have another officer that runs both. He's part-time officer, and he's a probation officer. So we fall right in between. There's uh, seven, I believe, if not six or seven part-time, not part-time, but uh, field officers. So we all can go out in the field. We're all qualified for the field. But then there's also probation officers that are strictly the counseling side. Being able to do both is amazing. You can, you can set what you want the parameters for your probationer to be. And then if they're not following the parameters, they don't have to deal with you from behind a desk or over the phone. They deal with you face-to-face. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You know, t- tell us more about that. I've never actually heard of that where a department has officers that are strictly in the office and then officers that are strictly in the field. Tell us more about that. Uh, our office, like every other office, you got to be qualified. You have to be certified with a pistol, with a firearm. 
to be able to go in the field. We have, I believe it's four or five male officers that do searches. We do regular house visits, regular home visits, and we go out in the field. And there's other probation officers that aren't certified by OPOTA standards um, or with a pistol qualification that go, they don't really go out in the field. They can if assisted by a field officer, specifically for officer safety. That's real big. Definitely officer safety is real big. Um, you know, there have definitely been probation and parole officers that have, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately passed away in the line of duty. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize that if you really think about it, you know, a police officer, when they interact with someone who they don't know, you know, they don't, you know, you know, 90 percent of the people they interact with are just good law abiding citizens. And of course, there's those 10 percent that they interact with that, you know, might be dangerous. Um, or pose a risk to them, whereas opposed to, you know, probation and parole officers, every person on our caseload is a convicted criminal. Definitely. And definitely. You can't, you know, you can't let your guard down. You have to be, you have to keep your head on a swivel. You have to stay in con- condition yellow and you have to make sure that your, your safety and going home in the night is the most important thing. Definitely. And that, to me, the officer safety comes down to training. Like I said, I went through police academy. So I have some of, if not the same equivalent as most of the officers, you know, um, I've always been like that. If I approach a door, I approach the door on the right side that I'm supposed to. So if they open the door, they have to step out to see me first. If I'm going, if we're going doubles, there's always somebody watching my back. If I'm knocking on the door, especially in apartment complexes, for instance, me and, uh, me and my partner, we went to an apartment complex that I wouldn't have went in by myself specifically for I'm not dumb. I don't know who's in this other apartment behind me. They see a guy come to the, their, their neighbor's door, tack vest, mag radio, the whole nine yards. Me, I'm a cop to them. And with everything going on right now, a lot of people don't care. And I don't know that. So as I'm knocking on the door, my partner's just watching, watching six the whole time. Exactly. Contact and cover. Contact and cover. Yeah. If it's your caseload, it's your offender, you're the contact person, you interact with them. You know, it's your your job to, uh, you know, keep an eye on them, watch for their movements, watch for any bulges. Of course, that contact officer is their job to watch everything else. Exactly. The background, people around you, all the people in the home, third parties, everything going on. So contact and cover is definitely a key, uh, a key uh, term and key strategy when you're uh, in the field working with another officer. Definitely. Definitely. So Aaron, when you started this job, how long ago was this? How long have you been in this position? Uh, it's come, actually coming up on about two years now. Two years. Nice. Have you ever been in a physical altercation with one of your offenders? No, I don't have to be. I'm not trying to sound like King Kong, but you know, certain people have a presence. I've had one guy and start. I asked to, you that. <clears throat> Go ahead. I'm sorry. I've had a guy start to get like rowdy, but then it was like I turned around too quick on him and he just sat down. It was weird. <laughs> I asked you that because a lot of people who are interested in getting into this profession, some of them, I'm not going to say a lot, but some of them are apprehensive because they think it's dangerous. They don't want to put themselves in danger. So to hear uh, an officer has been in this position for 
almost two years and has not had any contact like that. That's encouraging to some people who might be afraid to step into it because they don't want that side of things. Oh, definitely. It's um, it's a matter of how you hold yourself. If you look like a prey, somebody will prey upon you, you know what I mean? But if you hold yourself with respect and you treat them with respect, you're going to get it back. Well, as long as you're just not going out there like Billy Badass. That is so true. <laughs> That's so true. That is definitely so true. Being able to give them respect and, you know, I think a lot of the the work you build up to, even if you have to arrest somebody, a lot of the the work you put into your professional relationship with that offender um, helps so much in when you have to make that arrest or you have to go do that search at their home, how they respond. Um, you know, if they know that, you know, you know, hey, this officer, you know, he's always fair. You know, yeah, I made some mistakes. He's giving me chances and I keep messing up and he gives me chances. I keep messing up. He tells me, hey, listen, you cross that line one more time. Unfortunately, I have to do my job. They're not they're they're not really surprised when you get to that point where you have to make that arrest. Um, Definitely. And I believe a lot of it is groundwork and how you talk to how you talk to your clients, how you talk to your offenders. I mean, definitely, I've worked with officers back when I was a juvenile officer, where you know they would talk down to talk down to the juveniles sometimes, and then they wonder when they go to their house why the parents are hostile to them, why the juveniles hostile to them. Um, it's all about building relationships. That's a big part of our jobs. A lot of people don't understand that, but also a big part of our jobs too is going into that home and seeing that home environment. Aaron, why do you think seeing that home environment is so important to what we do in terms of trying to be change agents? I mean, it's the home environment. We can do whatever we need to do where we are, but at the end of the night, we go home. We don't know what they go home to. They can be faced with the the same thing that made them act out in the first place. You know, if you got a, a drug addict that, when they're not at home, they're fine. When they're in rehab, they're fine. Totally fine on the track to be sober, period. As soon as they go home, they relapse because it's in their home. It's all about what they're around sometimes. And I've tried to explain that to numerous people, numerous. There's, I have probationers that I went to school with personal. And then seeing them on the downfall they are now, which in high school, they were captain of a wrestling team on track you see them now they're under under the bus let's say that but it's all what's at home that's that's definitely i definitely agree with you on that one um i've had i've had juvenile offenders i've worked with where you know we keep wondering why they keep getting into fights at school um why they keep putting hands on people and then you know you go to the home you know dad's drunk all the time um, dad might be hitting on mom, so he sees it at home. Um, it's an unhealthy relationship, and that does give you a key look into what's going on. Just like Aaron said, you know, if you have an offender, it's a drug addict, and you know, you know, they're they live with their parents or their siblings, and they use, you know, yeah, they might be good when they're in rehab or when they're away, but when you put them back in that environment, that temptation is there. Um, so definitely, the home contacts are very, very, very important. Um, now let's talk about a little bit about home contacts, being an armed officer versus being an unarmed officer. 
so Brittany, I remember you telling us earlier that, you know, your agency didn't carry firearms, but you were still expected to do home contacts. So tell us, how, how do you manage that being an unarmed officer? <laughs> okay, so unlike you guys, we never went into their house. Like that was just not a part of it. Like you go with you and a partner, you never go by yourself. And then you basically stand outside the door, um, have the offender come to the door, you chop it up for about five minutes. I'm not even kidding you, it was like really fast. But for a more intensive caseloads, like the sex offender caseload or the high risk caseload, something like that, yeah, they do have to go into the um, offender's home. But if you're like a low level offender or low risk, then yeah, we we didn't have any issues needing to carry a firearm because there wasn't that type of, um, well, they didn't feel like there was that type of interaction, so we didn't need it. But I felt safe. Everybody always used to ask me like, how do you feel going over there to somebody's house that you don't have any type of weapon? Um, yeah, it was it was nothing. Because like Aaron mentioned before, and you mentioned, Chris, you have to build that rapport with that person. If you respect them, it's, it's, it's cool. So, Aaron, do you, do you think it's uh, different being an armed officer and doing home contacts? Oh, definitely. Definitely. You always get the people that are apprehensive right off the bat as soon as you as soon as they open the door especially like if i get a new person on on my caseload on my list to go see in a field visit i show up to their door they don't expect to see a beefy guy that's tacked out show up at the door firearm on the hip just staring at him in the face like how you doing my you name is my house. i'm closing the door you came to my house looking like that i mean i I've got that before. I've got that before, and then they got the irritated knock again, and then the whole spiel. And it was like, oh, I didn't know. I thought you were the cops. So you just close the door on the cop's face. I mean, I don't really... Yep. I mean, pretty much. That's. But you get that when you show up to somebody's house and you're armed. I've, I'm kind of used to it now. So you get people that are apprehensive, and you get people that just stare at you and then stare down the whole time until you ease them like this is what i'm here for i'm just here to check on you you're not in trouble so your home visit were they uh or are they unannounced or you guys scheduled oh, yeah. how does that go oh yeah oh yeah they are always unannounced I agree. Always. It's, um, I agree. That's how I. That's how I work it. If I'm coming to do a home visit, I'm not telling you I'm coming. I'm not telling you what time I'm coming, because there's times that I've showed up at somebody's house at twelve o'clock at night just right. to make a point. All right, first of all, oh my God. you you, you got it on that midnight. <laughs> you got it on that one. That's something. I, that's something I ain't doing. I ain't something I ain't doing. Midnight. Woo. I mean, oh. I've, I've gone to somebody's house at ten o'clock at night, but midnight is that's that's and a different animal right there. Uh, it is what it is. I mean, if you get if I get an alert from somebody's anklet, I might have to go to that call. That's yeah. See, that's different though. That's different when you have to deal with electronic monitoring and being on call. That's definitely different than just uh you know random fields i've field also i've also did a random field visit at 11 30 at night 12 o'clock <laughs> man why are you so hey, you the, tough you the man, why are you so tough on your people you the man 
You gotta be. Some of them, some of them, you have to be tough on. Some of them will lie straight to your face, and two hours later, they in a police report. I don't know. It ain't some of them. It ain't some of them. It's more than some. Touche. I was <laughs> trying to be modest. It's more than some. I was that's why. That's something we're probably have to talk about in a future episode is the the lies of dealing with probationers. I know, I know, Brittany got some stories, um, yeah. but the way I always say it is, I'll it, uh, I'll listen, but I gotta verify whatever you're telling exactly. me. I'll listen to what you're saying, but best believe I'm gonna verify it because don't try to play the angles. Exactly. Uh, but try to. I, don't, I definitely want to keep staying on the uh, topic of home visits, though. So, Brittany question for you and uh then i'm giving on to aaron is have you ever done a home visit where you've done a pop-up and things aren't right at defender's home whether you walk into a domestic violence situation or it's about to escalate mm-hmm. to that point or um you know defender was actively using drugs or just something wasn't right their their vibe was was off they seemed more cautious than they usually are Brittany, you ever had that kind of situation before? No. <laughs> no. And you know why I say that? Because you know how you guys are doing um, pop-ups, so to speak. I scheduled all my home visits. So these people knew I was coming to their house. Oh, yeah. So they're not going to have any, you know, funny stuff going on. Um, I think if it was in a situation like you guys, then probably, yeah, they probably would have popped off. And then, like I said, we don't even go in their house. So I don't even see much. Like, they literally come to the door. The door's, like, cracked. I don't see nothing. So there was no action. There was no action. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so, so when you get there, they got their, they got their Sunday best on. They're, they're holding the puppy. The craziest thing was this girl showed up at the door naked. Like she knew I was coming, so that disturbed the hell out of me. Like, girl, you know I was coming to your house. Why are you naked? Why are you opening the door naked? Ooh, people, Lord. People. Mm. She she forgot you was coming. She thought her man was coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, she knew who was coming. Uh, what about you, Aaron? Did a pop up and walked in on something? I did a pop up on a guy. I think the most craziest one. I did a pop up on a guy. And there was literally 20 people in this small, small house, 20 people. And I could just smell it before I even opened the door. Before they even opened the door, I smelled nothing but straight weed. I'm like, open the doors, bottles. They just having a grand old party. I'm like, uh, let me, let me, let me talk to you real quick. I had to pull them outside, talk to them. I ain't say nothing about it, but. 20 minutes later, he got picked up. Oh, that's messed up. <laughs> I'm just <playing. laughs> Yo, Brittany, who's I mean, side you on? Is, right? Oh, hold up, hold up. <laughs> you know what side I'm on. <laughs> but I still feel bad. Like, I would always feel bad when people got arrested. I just really did. I mean, I've had a, I've had a couple people that have been arrested that I'm like, why? No, all you had to do was do what you were supposed to do, and you wouldn't be arrested. There's people that just won't do it. No, the crazy, the, the worst part is when people start short timing, they'll do good their entire probation, get down to those last two months, 
And that's they just they just like, oh, I'm about yeah. to be done. And they start doing everything, popping positive on drug screens, missing curfews, just doing what they want to do, living their best life. And I'm like, dude, you just went from about to be successfully terminated to, uh, yo, here's your court date, bruh. We got we to go talk to the judge about this. For real. Um, I've seen it. So, Aaron, uh, you said you're so you're a field and you guys do searches also, right? Yes. Tell us, tell us more about that. How do you how do you guys prepare to do a search? Uh, honestly, it depends on who's going out to do a search. Anytime I've gone out to do a search, it's been with one specific individual, and that's the guy that brought me into the fold in the first place. Me and him, <laughs> we we can basically look at each other and go there or check there, or I checked here once, you check here again, and I go back in again a third time. Him and I conducted a search where we found, I think we found a couple prescription pills that weren't in the right place, pretty much. And then I proceeded to find cellophane. And if you know what cellophane is, it was, and it was burnt at the top, that's normally what people use for baggies, you know? So I found a couple of those. So I kept looking. I found stuff. He also found another firearm in a room that he wasn't supposed to have. It's just it depends on who you were with that you can get ready for a search. Now, if I went out with somebody I'm not used to searching with, then it's the rundown. It's like, okay, here's the front door. Here's the back door. I don't know how many rooms are in the house, but you got to watch him while I search this. And I watch him when you search this. It all depends on who you search with. Do you um do you detain the the, the offender while you're conducting your search? Oh yeah, of course, have to you detain him and keep him in one area because if he can if he can move around, who knows what he can move while he's detained, even with his hands behind his back. Or there's another technique that me and the one guy used before. We set him in this general area. So he could see everything and just about everywhere his eyes moved when we got close to it. We check there. That's a good technique. That's good right there because they're, they're, those eyes always give them away. Always, the eyes go right to where they're exactly. worried about. Exactly. So we let him see a search and wherever his eyes went or wherever they bugged out a little bit is where we went. Now, if you do end up finding uh, something like saying a firearm or such, what, what would you do next? Our, uh, our SOP is to call the local department, whether it's a PD or the county. We call them, we give the evidence over to them, and then it's a new charge. Are you guys, is your agency able to make um, arrests on the spot? Or do you have to file a violation and get a warrant first in order to make an arrest? Normally it's the violation, warrant, arrest, Unless it's the whole exigent circumstance thing. If we see him doing some straight up illegal shit right in front of our face, mm-hmm. then it's covered up. Okay. Or if he touches, if he touches one of us, gets aggressive, stuff like that. Yeah, then it's cuff and go. Cuff and go. So, in when I was juvenile officer in Pennsylvania, um, the. Pennsylvania Juvenile Act specifically says about um, searches is that it has to be pre-approved by a supervisor. So there have been times where, you know, I might go to a juvenile's home 
and I might see something. Um, the biggest thing, the biggest giveaway would be uh, the, the empty tobacco from the blunt wrappers in the trash. That's the number yep. one giveaway. Hey, supervisor, listen, um, I'm at such and such's house. Uh, they got empty blunt wrappers here. The tobacco's in the trash can. Kind of got permission to search. That's you, and that's usually a, a go ahead. Um, so that's a little bit different in juvenile. Like I said, we had to have uh, by by the law, um, by the juvenile act of Pennsylvania, we had to have permission from a supervisor to do a search. Now I believe the adult office they don't need permission because it's a condition of their probation that they can do yep. a search. Um, yeah. Yeah, where I'm at now, um, we don't we don't we don't need permission. Um, we generally always do converse, and um, if it's something that's planned, we'll converse with our supervisor and kind of explain what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, get a team together and then go execute the search. Um, but if we're, if the situation arises in the field, and um, that's the search isn't something one officer should ever do alone, never ever. For all those listening, um, for those that want to become officers. You never do a search by yourself. It's not safe. It's not safe. It's not safe. Because how can you monitor the, the offender um, that you have detained and successfully do a search? Um, so if there's a situation arises where I might walk into something and, you know, that, like the situation Aaron had where there's a house full of people, there's drugs in there, there's alcohol, you know, smells like uh, smells like drugs. Um, you know, you make a decision at that point. Do you want to you, you would retreat like Aaron did, call the locals, brief them on what's going on and go back with numbers. Um, because one thing you don't want to do is ever do anything by yourself. So that's the, so that's kind of a little difference between juvenile and adult um, in terms of how that works. Uh, in juvenile, I have done searches by myself. Um, they do, the policy does allow us to do that. Um, just because there is a lower risk because it is juveniles, but clearly you always want you always want numbers whenever you're doing a search. Definitely. So yeah. Um, so kind of keeping on the uh, topic of field work. How do you feel? How do you <laughs> tell us about some of the? And I, I know you got a few because I know I have a few of them. Tell me, tell us about some of the nastiest grimiest homes you've been in. I know you got some stories, Max. I know I got a few. Oh, man. <laughs> Alright, so I'll tell you, I got two of them for it. The first, the first, if not the second, field visit I had ever went on, they asked me to get a screen for the guy. So, me and my partner, we walk into his house. What's the screen? You first talking of all, about a drug screen? First of all, we walk into the foyer of the apartment, knock on the door. He says, come in. Me and my partner look at each other like, I ain't going in there. You going in there? That's not what we do. We told him to come to the door. He opened the door. All the lights are off, first of all. Only thing that's lit up is his Christmas tree in like February. (laughs) February? Uh, Can't see nothing. Yeah, but the smell is horrendous, right? So we told him we, he's the, he has MS, so he's really not doing nothing anyway. So we, it was lower risk, so we weren't really 100% worried about it. So we told him we needed a screen, so I gave him the cup, and he turns. So I'm like, all right, he's going to walk to his bathroom. No, he just whips it out in the middle of the living room. <laughs> and, like, 
I'm like, uh, 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 all right, cool. And he, he, I just let it go. He ended up not being able to go. Walked out, looked at each other. Was like, we ain't going there no more. <laughs> that was that guy. Next time we had another screen. It was in another set of lower income developments. There was carpet on the floor. When you stepped on it, it got sticky. Mm. It was almost like tile. But it was carpet. I wasn't ready to prepare, prepare for that either. I ended up sanitizing my boots when I got out of there, if that explains anything. And it was that old 1977 shag carpet, the tan and brown stuff. Just all matted down like tile. <laughs> oh, I didn't man. need that. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've been in some houses as a juvenile working in the inner city where I'm talking about and you got you got you got the roaches fighting the spiders in the corner. You got the piles of clothes on the floor. And she gonna have the, the mom had a nerve to say, Oh, they clean. Then why is they on the floor? <laughs> oh man, I'm talking just trash everywhere. Now, apparently apparently they can't afford trash cans or trash bags. So these got these got thrown on the floor. And then you wonder why the juvenile is messed up, why he's angry all the time, why he's mad. Because his basic needs aren't being met. He ain't got a clean house. There ain't enough food in the house. And you wonder why he's mad. He's going to school picking fights with people. People are you know, dressed up. They're cleaner than him, dressed better than him. Because he's mad. Listen, I understand. Okay. Go you, got, you got something to say, Brittany? Yeah, dang. Can I talk? Woo, yo, y'all over talking to me on this podcast today. <laughs> okay, no. But I just wanted to point out that was one of the things that I hated most about that job is that when you see people in a in a situation like that, like the resources that us as probation officers had were so limited. And it's like you can't even really do anything about it. And it's like so heartbreaking because you see it constantly where people need this help. It's nothing you can do. So, Chris, when you went to a situation like that where this kid is, is in a house that's filthy, disgusting, like what was the steps? Like what resources did you guys have to help kids like that? Uh, hey, uh, hey, CPS, um, I got a referral for you. CPS is terrible. Oh, hey, God. That's hey, my, my, wife, my wife's a CPS worker. <laughs> They are not terrible people. They have a tough job. No, they are not terrible people. But a child being just caught in the system, even on that end of the spectrum, is terrible. Is what I'm saying. I understand. When I was when I was a juvenile officer, there have been cases where me, me and my wife are involved with the same case. That's that's happened once or twice. You know, it's funny. They can never put it together. We have the same last name, but they never put it together. It's funny. Okay, and then what about? Aaron, you, you deal with adults, juveniles. I'm lost at this point. Well, uh, I mean, currently, currently I work with adults. Um, well, Chris, I know you work with adults, but Aaron, so when you see a situation and a person, his, their living conditions are just, like, what kind of resources does your area have? Exactly. Look, y'all, if y'all can see him right now, he's scratching his head because, yeah, it's, it's real, <laughs> real dry. <laughs> 
Hey man, they they adults. They gotta figure it out. Just like I'm an adult, I can exactly. figure it out. Listen, listen. You go right to Dollar Tree. You get your little thing, of Fabuloso, right? Get you some, uh, get you some trash bags. All right. It ain't that hard. <laughs> listen, it ain't that hard. Oh, I understand. No, it's not always that simple. Though. It's not always that simple because these, mind you, some of these people are getting out of jail or prison. In you guys' cases. They don't have anything, so they're just going wherever they can go to fit in. They don't have a choice to, oh, I can go and buy this and buy that. Half of these people don't even have jobs, Chris. They can't even eat. And you want them to go buy some Fabuloso? You have a choice about throwing a McDonald's wrapper on the floor. That's a choice. That's a choice. You know what? That's another story for another episode, okay? (laughs) 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 All right, all right. Um, Aaron, I got a couple questions for you. Tell us yeah. you any 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 uh any crazy arrest stories. Hmm. I do, but I don't know if I can actually say that one. Understandable. Let's just, Understandable. Let's just say that ATF was involved on something. All right. All right. Some jail time happened. Jail time definitely happened. Definitely happened. It was a prepper. He shouldn't have had everything he had. Mm. Okay. Enough said. Enough said. Um. Any uh. Any any chases? We have a no chase policy. Okay. Which uh, I have a radio. Mm-hmm. Can't run fast in radio waves. This is true. This is true. <laughs> um, well, do you guys serve? Go ahead. Yes. What is the <laughs> what is the success rate for your caseload as far as these people getting off probation without without any uh, violations, without any trips to the jail? What would you say? <laughs> Technically, my caseload is people on bond. So what's so, so like pre-trial, right? Yeah, definitely pre-trial. Okay. So that what would that success rate look like? Some people, people they can screw it up on bond. Yeah, yeah. I've had a, I've had a lot. I mean. I can't even really put a number to it, but I've had a, a lot of decent people make it off of bond and pretrial and get on probation and be fine and have a successful successful. But I've had other people that literally don't check in on bond ever and go right back to jail. So when they violate their bond, um, what do you, what, what happens? Do you request a warrant? What, what happens? I mean, there's certain steps. It's not just like, okay, you violated, you're going back to jail right now. There's steps. We try to give people chances. Um, after a certain amount of violations, yeah, it's time for you to go back to jail because you ain't doing what you're supposed to be doing. So once they um, violate and they do go back to jail, is that like it or do they get like another chance? I've had a lot of people ask me that question before. They can. They can. They can they can literally get out on the same. 
I've had many of them get out literally on the same bond conditions, the same everything, and still mess up. And I have people got out on the same bond recommendations because it was a technicality that they didn't understand what they were supposed to be doing. How often is it that someone that's on a bond or a pre or a bond a bond supervision or pretrial and they beat their case? I haven't had any yet because most of my people out on bond. I'm I'm not even trying to be funny for real. Like the ones that I have on bond, like they know they did it kind of thing. Then there's other ones for like GSI stuff like that. They they're still trying to fight it. What's GSI? Gross sexual imposition. So like a like a sex offender type case. Definitely. And there's okay. it's continued and continued and continued different lawyer trying to basically, you know, not trying to get on the offender list. We're gonna we're gonna wrap this up. What would what would, uh what would you what kind of advice would you give someone that is looking to get into this field, looking to join our family, our community supervision family? What kind of advice would you give them? You can't be soft, but you have to have some kind of compassion. You have to be stern, but you got to be able to look at somebody in the face and be like, I understand where you're coming from. I understand that you had a hard time in life. But to get you better, you got to do what you're supposed to do. And that's what I'm here to enforce is what you're supposed to be doing. You know what I mean? That's good advice right there. That's real good advice. All y'all, make sure y'all listen to Aaron. That's some good advice right there. Um, it's not all about being hard. This job is not about being hard. Um, I find that people that come in with this job and they, you know, they're real black and white. There's no shades of gray. Those people don't make it. They get burned out. Um, you know, you have to, you have to realize that you're working with people. It takes time for people to change. It takes resources for people to change. Definitely. So that's definitely good advice. Brittany, you have a last question? For Aaron. Aaron, uh, would you ever consider moving to Texas? I mean, I got family in Texas. So you would consider it? <laughs> I mean, okay, okay. the price That's of living in <laughs> the price of living in Ohio is extremely cheap. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> But I mean, Texas, I can ride my bike all year round. There you go. Hey, Aaron, we appreciate you coming on for the interview today. We appreciate you being a part of the Two Hats family. Um, yeah, we definitely no. appreciate appreciate the service that you're giving. Our uh, viewers, our listeners, uh, follow you on social media? Or are you oh, yeah, like definitely. Chris, you don't let people follow you? I mean, I definitely vet people, but you can follow it. Instagram is ampvision. A-M-P-D V-I-S-I-O-N uh, I believe my Snapchat is A-M-P-D-1 That's it right now because I ain't got Facebook I let that go <laughs> uh, Again, thank you Aaron, we appreciate you man um, Definitely make sure uh, you continue to support us and we support you and well, you definitely. be safe out there, keep your head on a swivel appreciate it. and uh 
Thank you for our interview today. No problem, man. Great. Thank y'all. Yes, thank you guys so much. That was a really, really good episode with Aaron, our special guest. Please follow us at the Two Hats Podcast on Instagram. Also, subscribe to our channel if you have not yet here on YouTube. And you will see us here next Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. So please be on the lookout and comment any questions you have. And until next time, stay safe, y'all. Hey, be safe. Welcome to the family, guys. And to make sure you leave any kind of comments down to, uh, down below, and we will definitely try to get back to you.